The nail in the coffin! Welcome to The Nail, episode number 21. I'm Tom Valentino. He is Travis Yuli. Trav, how you doing? I'm doing great, Tino. My Buckeyes just got an overtime win in the uh, in the NIT. They're marching on their way to a title. I, I was going to ask you about that. I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, were you uh, on pins and needles there? Uh, the the uh, Akron Zips took them to the limit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was intense. This is what March Madness is all about right here. Meaningless games against two teams in Ohio that have literally nothing to play for. Hey, you know, Dan Brott, uh, the Akron coach, learned the hard way. You don't go into Columbus in mid-March and try to beat Thad in the NIT. I, I saw the graphic at the end of that game. He's 6-0 and in NIT games at Ohio State now. So, <laughs> Yeah, because he's been to it once and he won the tournament. That's right. Well, let's hey. see if he can do, do it twice. Cause, Love uh, it. Well, hey, listen, that was not the only game going on tonight. Um, the actual uh, March Madness, uh, the first four uh, first couple of games of that going on, and um, good thing I uh, thought uh, CBS's Selection Sunday show might actually still be going this morning after it started on Sunday at dinner time. So uh, yeah, yeah, hey, they're still trying to uh, they're still trying to cover it back up. Maybe throw a uh, false flag out there, see if they confuse us all into thinking that we don't already know who's in it. Yeah, what a shit show that was on Sunday. Let's talk about that for a minute. Like, th- did you watch the the Selection show at all? I watched part of it. Um, truthfully, I don't really care that much about all the hoopla behind it. I just want to see the damn bracket. Um, and even before I knew it was on Twitter, it's like, I don't, I don't need to watch this slowly unfold as they unveil each one. Um, the only bracket I'll probably watch like all the way for the reveal is the uh, college football bracket because it takes about 10 seconds and they show me who's going to play of four teams. But going through like each little segment of the entire bracket, like, Come on, who has the time? I don't care that much about who's playing who. And I'm and by the end of it, I'm gonna forget ninety percent of what I just watched anyways. So I'm just gonna wait till it comes out. Fortunately, it came out much earlier than expected. Yeah, so a few things to unpack here. Number one, I knew they were gonna do this a couple of weeks ago when they announced that the selection show was gonna be two hours. Like I don't know what anybody expected them oh, yeah, to be I doing. Don't like of course they're gonna stretch it out as long as they possibly could if they were gonna make the show two hours long. Like I mean if anybody expecting them to just unveil it in the first half hour, then nobody would have any reason to really stick uh stick around and watch the rest of it beyond that. So that right, this like don't... righteous indignation that was raining down on Twitter and, and Facebook and everywhere else as that show was happening on Sunday, I was just like, what did you expect? Right, exactly. It's uh, They booked two hours on TV. They're going to fill two hours with stuff that will keep people watching for two hours. Uh, I don't remember. I think it might have been Gottlieb, who typically I'm not a huge fan of, but I heard him say this week, he's like, when you watch the Oscars, they don't tell you all the award winners at, at the beginning of the show and then you know fill it with – uh, performances and presenters and stuff for the next two hours. They need to give you a reason to watch because you're watching that to find out who's going to be in the tournament. So if you expected something else, I'm not sure why you would think that. 
Um, maybe you're new to how television works, but right. My <laughs> counter mean, to that, though, like, okay, if you know you're going to have a two-hour show and you need to keep people engaged for two hours, then fine. That's that's what you're going to do, um, no matter how many people you piss off in the process. My counter to that, though, is there's absolutely no reason that show should take two hours, and it's not the Oscars, it's not um, a drama. It's not um, any sort of scripted show. It's basically a news program, and you're not going to save tonight's top story for the last 30 seconds. That's when we see the raccoon on water skis or whatever. Sure, but to to sort of play devil's advocate here, um, what you need to do, uh, or what you don't need to do, I should say, I guess, um, in taking up two hours, and what you can get away with, did they have anything better to put on TV during that time? Why would they not fill it with the most topical, even if they have to stretch it out a little bit or a lot, as the case may be? Yeah, maybe they didn't need to, but in their defense, if the bracket had not leaked early, people would have watched the entire special and they would have gotten, it would have been a great idea for them. They would have had good ratings for it. And while you or I can sit at home and, and gripe about why this is taking two hours, it's taking two hours because they can they can get away with taking two hours. Are you buying the conspiracy theory that it was somebody from CBS who actually leaked the bracket online early in order to get people buzzing about it and staying tuned to the show just it to is, see if it was actually legit? It is kind of hilarious to think about. No, I'm not buying it, but it is kind of funny because – I mean, if if you're at home and you're watching it, and you're how many how many do you have to watch them get right or watch them match before you're like, okay, this is it. I don't need to watch anymore. Yeah, it seemed like everybody <laughs> you know was saying? pretty willing like to accept watched... it by the third region that got unveiled. Right. Um, so it's it's kind of funny. I mean, it, it would be pretty funny. I'm I'm sure it was someone at CBS that did it because I can't imagine anyone else would have had access to it. Um, whether it was intentional. Whether CBS was okay with it, I don't. I'm not buying that. Yeah, I um, I I don't know. I just think it's amazing that the first year that they tried to push this thing out to two hours long, and and risk um, upsetting their or angering their audience, it's also the first year that I can ever remember the bracket leaking online early. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, who knows? It it seems kind of random. I can't. I can't imagine that they would have done it because it seems like the CBS guys were legitimately surprised by it. Um, so in, in that respect, the guys that were on TV at least didn't seem that they like seem like they didn't know that or weren't in on the joke, I should say. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, who really cares at this point? Um, it, it, it was kind of a funny anecdote and we will probably remember it for the next few years. Like, Hey, remember that time CBS leaked the brackets early. Um, and I'd be surprised. We'll we'll see next year if they go with the two hour model again. That's what um, I was about to ask you. Do you think they do the same thing next year? I think they'll probably shorten it up to an hour, put it at like the seven o'clock hour. Because um, truthfully, I think they may have rushed it a little bit. There's a couple seeds that I thought were a little strange and didn't make a whole lot of sense. But my hunch is they might have already been been in place um, before all the games ended and whatnot, so they, and they didn't necessarily have time to change everything around, so they stuck with them. Um, so I'm, I'm, they may shorten it up, but move it back a little bit in the day is my guess. Yeah, they've because... always liked to do that um, 
Big Ten tournament final on in the late afternoon, and then pretty quickly after that, roll right into the uh, the the selection show. And I know they've talked to the person that oversees the bracket for that respective year. Um, in a couple different instances, I know they've said that they've had like two contingency plans in place. Like if this team wins the big 10 game, the bracket will look like this. And if this team, the other team wins it, then they'll go with plan B for the bracket. And I know that for, from the mid eighties, when the tournament expanded to 64 teams all the way up to like, Oh two, it was a half hour show. And then from Oh two to last year, it was an hour long and then this year was the first year that they stretched it out to two hours. So I would, if it were me, I, I would guess that uh, they'd be taking it back to one hour next year. And probably they can, because I don't think they want to risk everybody getting uh, flipping channels after the Big Ten game's over. I, I don't really think there was anything wrong with what they were doing uh, the last 15 years or so in terms of just kind of creating a contingency plan around that last conference game and and then just rolling with it from there. Right, and if they were the ones that leaked it, they can't pull that trick again. So no, <laughs> uh, that that card's already been played, so they're kind of stuck with it. I think yeah, they'll probably move it back. The one that I, it, it, what I was just talking about actually, the one seed I think that stuck out to me a little bit before we actually get into the bracket was um, Kentucky, who won the SEC tournament and beat Texas A and M on Sunday. Actually, ended up with a four seed, while A and M ended up with a three seed, despite them having identical records um and they split during the regular season right um i believe so yeah i think i know that a&m beat them once um in overtime so they went to overtime again i'm not sure if i don't think they played twice during the regular season okay i think a&m had the regular season one which if what i'm saying is correct where they kind of had some of these seeds already in place and didn't let sunday's game change things wouldn't make sense that a&m had the tiebreaker and even though Kentucky, in theory, would have won it back to get that higher seed. They just kind of left things where they were. That was a very bizarre uh, choice. Um, just some other ones. Let's go ahead and let's get into the bracket because the thing there were a couple things that seemed to get the most attention. Um, I, I think it was the, the top of the bracket, the one seeds, and the teams that got in at the bottom of the bracket, the, the final at-large selections. So just to get started, the the top seeds, were you fine with uh, all the ones and twos? No. Michigan State, I'm, I I think Michigan State's one of the two or, best three, two or three best teams in the country, and I think they absolutely deserve one of those one seeds. Um, probably ahead of Virginia, probably ahead of Oregon. Um so that's probably where my biggest gripe is. I, I I tend to not nitpick too much on those because you're not going to have to play a, a one or two seed until the Elite Eight anyways if you are in one of those slots. And, I mean, if you get to that point, it's it's you just have to play basketball anyways. So I don't, I don't care too much about the ones versus twos. But if I was seeding them, I probably would have put Michigan State into one of those one spots, probably ahead of Virginia, I think. Um, but definitely into one of them i'm not sure which one i think kansas definitely is the only one i think that's a clear cut number one um and then you can kind of duke it out over the remaining three i agree with everything you just said and if i'm sparty the reason i'm not getting too upset is because they're the number two seed in the midwest region virginia's the number one and if you're looking at the rest of that bracket 
I don't think anybody in there is particularly overwhelming or scary um, that you would need to worry about. And the regional final would be played in Chicago, which is much more of a geographic advantage for Michigan State than it would be for Virginia. So, or anyone else really. Sands, I think Butler's in that one. Butler and Purdue are both there. So, if one of them gets there, yeah, it's Big Ten or Butler from Indiana. But I don't know how much they travel. Um, Yeah, Utah's the three in that region, and Iowa State's the four. Yeah, I think the funny thing is Michigan State locks out because they could theoretically, I don't think this will happen, but they could theoretically have the easiest second-round game of them all if they get to go against Syracuse, who has absolutely no business being in the tournament, no less in the 10 seed. Um, If they were to back in, I don't think they should have, but if they were to back in, they should have been one of those those playing teams I thought for sure um so that's sort of that's probably my biggest gripe on teams that got in that I didn't think deserved it um overall I think they did a pretty good job but I I think Syracuse just kind of gets in on reputation at this point I don't think anyone who watched them actually thinks that they were um deserving of getting in there and they had one of the worst losses I've seen in a long time. They lost to uh, St. John's earlier this year, who is truly one of the worst basketball teams in Division One. Um, so that's probably the one that jumps out at me the most. And if they're if they're able to get by Dayton, which I don't think they will, but if they get by Dayton, Michigan State will storm them. It'll be embarrassing. Probably one of the worst games Syracuse has ever seen in a tournament. Yeah, just to build on your point in terms of Syracuse, not really. Uh, necessarily belonging in the bracket this year. They lost 10 games in the ACC, and I had to double-check that. It's still weird to me to see Syracuse in the ACC. <laughs> I, I can't, I can't process the, the that. The conferences are so weird. I've, I've, I'm, I'm, I've been adapted really well in football. In basketball, I'm a mess. I have no idea. I'd be good for them for being in, in the ACC because that's a good basketball conference and they're a basketball school. So I guess in that respect, it makes sense for them to be there. But I mean, come on, man, that's a Big East school. Like that does they they don't belong. <laughs> it's just it's so bizarre. But anyway, they they lost ten games in the ACC this year, and they lost five out of their last six to close the season. That that's a horrible run to be on, to make it into the bracket and not even have to play in a playing game. So they were one team that I thought was really a strange pick to get in. You and I also um, went back and forth quite a bit on Monmouth uh, not getting in uh, because they, uh, I think that was the one that was pretty shocking for a lot of people. Um, I know that uh, Tulsa was really uh, surprising that they got in. Uh, yeah. Tulsa is definitely another one. Um, I don't see the thing is anyone who comes up to me and says, yeah, Tulsa definitely didn't deserve to be in. Uh, one thing I can tell you, that person probably didn't watch a single Tulsa basketball game this year. Um, I did. So, I don't believe you. <laughs> uh, they played OU, and they were losing by double digits for about 75% of that game. Did they win or lose? They ended up winning, but the game okay. had so, well, they, the game go. had a there combined 87 foul shots, so <laughs> I'm, I'm not really putting a lot of stock in that great comeback. Uh, OU had half their roster fall out in that game. So Yeah, I, I don't think Michigan really deserved to be in either, and those two will play each other for the right to play Notre Dame. So, um that's sort of an interesting one, I guess. But yeah, Tulsa is another one that I've heard thrown around, but no one really knows them that much. 
Syracuse was probably on TV quite a bit, and they played a lot of good teams that we know a lot about. And quite frankly, you can look at Syracuse and tell right away they're not a very good basketball team. They're not deserving of one of those teams. They lost to some garbage teams at the end of the year. Um, they lost to uh, Florida State. They lost to Pitt twice in their last five games. They lost to Florida State, North Carolina. I mean, North Carolina is really good, but um, they didn't really beat anyone of consequence. Uh, they, like I said, I feel like if you lose to St. John's this year, that should just automatically uh, disqualify you, disqualify you from even being considered because that's literally one of the worst teams you've seen. Um, across the country this year. I don't even know what their final record ended up being, but they were dreadful. And somehow Syracuse managed to lose to them by a dozen. So um, it's it's the one that not only did they probably not deserve to be in, they're seeded probably four or five spots higher than they should be. And that's, that's one of those ones that just makes you scratch your head a little bit. Like what are these guys actually looking at when they put this together? It's really strange because I feel like there are moving goalposts in terms of what criteria get certain teams into the bracket and which team and what criteria is used in order to eliminate others. Like I, I for years you've heard about mid majors. Well, they got to schedule up, and um, I know you were not particularly overwhelmed by Monmouth's. Uh, Am I pronouncing that right, by the way? Ma- I think Ma- it's Monmouth. 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 Okay. Yes. I, I'm, I'm kind of tap dancing all around here. Monmouth. Nice. Um, I, I know they were they were one for you, but they got a lot of credit this year because if you look at, at who they went out and played, I mean, they, they played at UCLA, at Georgetown, won both of those games. They beat USC on a neutral court. I think they also beat Notre Dame, who was a regional finalist last year and gave Kentucky all they could handle. So, I mean, if they're a, a, a mid-major school, they're going out and they're playing the big boys. They put together a great record, and they get beaten in their conference championship game, and they get left on the outside look again uh, because they had a few bad losses uh, to teams that were like over 200 in the RPI, whereas like Syracuse has a few horrendous losses, and that suddenly doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm not going to try to defend Syracuse because I don't think they'd belong, but I'll play. We've already kind of gone back and forth on Monmouth a little bit. They played UCLA. They scheduled some teams. They scheduled some names, but a lot of them didn't really, I mean, they didn't really pay off. They weren't the teams that they uh, were expected to be. Georgetown was not good this year. I want to say they had close to 20 losses. Um, UCLA was not that good this year. USC was okay. They got in the tournament, so they're decent. But um, they split some. It was kind of weird. They scheduled them in the non-conference and then ended up playing them a couple weeks later in a tournament, which is sort of random. Right. But UCLA was sub 500, so you don't get a whole lot of credit for beating them by three um, in overtime. Um, and I, I think people kind of get swept up in this whole, oh, look how much fun they're having on the bench and blah, 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 and all this stuff. Really, the... I don't know. I guess some of the numbers say that their resume is really good. When I look at it, nothing about it really impresses me because after those first five or six games where they played UCLA, USC twice, Notre Dame, um, they lost to Dayton, so you don't really get much credit for that. Georgetown, they lost or they beat Rutgers by a handful. Um, And then they get into their conference slate, which isn't good. So I think I kind of slipped back into – 
football mode where sometimes you know the Boise states of the world and things like that where yeah you may have a better record than some other teams but quite frankly you didn't really do it against anyone of any uh, significance um and may, that's that may be a little unfair especially in a tournament this size um it's not like uh the BCS where there were eight spots available um so I, I maybe maybe I'm a little unfair in that respect but I'm not nearly as enamored with what Monmouth did this year as a lot of people seem to be. I think people kind of got swept up in this, uh, this, oh, look, they're having so much fun and, they, and they're hitting threes and this guy's doing a funny celebration. It'll be great to see them in March. Well, no, I, they're just, they're not, they're not, the resume isn't good enough, in my opinion, to, to have a big uproar over them being left out. Well, you might, you might have a case there. I don't know. I just, they're, the thing is with them, um, it just felt like some of the teams that got in ahead of them just had uh, so th- their resumes were just so questionable. It, it's like uh, the question is, all right, well, if you're not going to put in Monmouth, then who are you going to put in instead? And there was like nobody that was like, I mean, you could make a very strong case against several of the teams that got in instead of them. And um, I think that's the frustrating thing because the case of several of them, it was just um, teams that had name value and it just kind of, it, it's a bad look. Um, and don't get me wrong. I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have been saying that they, I wouldn't have treated them like, um, like Syracuse saying that they didn't deserve to get in if they did get in. Um, I think they had a good case personally. I think uh, Valpo and, uh, St. Joe's probably have a better case, or say, excuse me, St. Mary's probably have a better case than even Monmouth does. Right. But um, yeah, I mean, there's always going to be a couple teams that get in, and a couple teams that 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 don't make the cut, and we're wondering how they didn't get in. Um, Monmouth isn't one of those ones that I'm going to look back at and be like, oh man, I really think they could have made some noise if they could have gotten in, and I think they really deserved it, and blah 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 blah. So. I'm kind of over Monmouth, honestly. <laughs> that's fair. And that's so, fair. And, and I know there's probably people out there that are listening to this wondering why we're going on at such length about the bottom of the bracket. And that's a fair concern or, or complaint, I should say. But um, to keep in mind, the first year that the field expanded to 68, VCU played in the first four as one of the last at-large teams to get in. And they went to the final four. So it's not impossible for one of these teams that's playing either tonight or tomorrow uh, to catch fire over the next few weeks, and especially in a year like this when the field's so wide open. I mean, we're talking like, um, you know, you got Kansas and Michigan State that are looking real great, but I don't think there's any juggernaut roaming around the field looking to just mow through everybody at all. No, and that's sort of been the theme all year in college basketball. It's been really difficult to to nail down who the who the hands down favorite is. There hasn't been one or two teams that really jump out at you. I think probably right now. I guess we can probably jump in to actually go over who we like. I guess. Yeah, go um, ahead. I th- personally, I think there's there's two teams that I think have a really good chance at winning, and that's kind of what I already said: Kansas and Michigan State. They're the only two that I think. Um, are really playing really well right now and have the guys to keep that up. Um, Oregon's been insanely hot lately, but if they hit a a semi-slow shooting night, I think they're doomed against any decent team. Um, Virginia, 
they're just this team that never seems – I mean, for the last couple of years, I feel like they've jumped out as a team that has potential. Um, but I just – I don't see it. I don't think they have the talent. They're, they're obviously uh, – they're more of a fundamental team. They're a team that plays a really good system, and they've got some experience. But overall, I just can't see them taking down a bigger team, um, a more talented team, especially if they do end up against Michigan State. Um, if I'm dipping down into like the three, four, five, six range for teams, um, I, it's hard for me to ever count out Kentucky, I guess, just because they've always got the talent. Um, Maryland, I think from the Big Ten could make some noise. Um, they will have to go against um, Kansas in the Sweet 16 if they get there, which I think could be trouble for them, obviously. But uh, as a Big Ten guy, I think they're they're kind of bipolar. They they have all the talent in the world. They could easily show up and be really good. Um, but I'm just not sure if, you know, they have, have it in them to do that for six games in a row. Um, I'm really glad you, just to jump in here real quick. I'm really glad you, uh, you brought up Maryland because, um, they're a five seed, as you mentioned, and it's just kind of interesting to me. And I'll leave it at that, that, um, Duke happened to get a four seed, and Kentucky gets a four seed and gets paired up in the same bracket as Indiana as a five seed. And you've got two great historic programs that uh, have a chance to be playing in the second round this year. And the committee absolutely could have done the same thing with a great rivalry like Duke and Maryland, um, which really would have been especially great because I think it was USA Today, I was reading today, pointed out that when Maryland jumped out of the ACC to go to the Big Ten, uh, Coach K down at Duke um, went on the record and said, I'm never scheduling them in the non-conference because they turned their back on the ACC. And that that was a fantastic rivalry between those two schools when they were in the same conference. And now they're probably not going to play again. And you had a very easy chance to put them together in the same bracket. But instead, um, if you look at the path that, uh, that Duke has, especially if you're not a believer in Oregon, um, it it just looks like a very, very friendly path for a four seed, which is just amazing that it works out that way for Duke again. Yeah, absolutely. And you, I mean, yeah, you remember in the early two thousands, um, Juan Dixon, Steve Blake, um, Chris Wilcox and those guys at Maryland kind of coming up out of nowhere and really matching those, those Duke teams that had that, that storied like 10 ish year run where, they're just the big dog every year. And they had Jay Williams and Shane Batty and all these guys. Um, they were sort of like the purebred team and Maryland sort of popped up out of nowhere and was legitimately just as good. I want to say they won the title in Oh one. I think um, it was either 2000 or 2001, I think. And another uh, Oh two Maryland won. It. Was it Oh two that they yeah, won? Okay. They oh one Indiana in the final. And that Indiana team was the one that beat Kent state in the elite eight. With Jared Jeffries and all them, yeah, um, yeah, and another thing, one of Maryland's best players is Rashid Suleiman, who got kicked out at Duke. So that would have been another. Ooh, I forgot about that. There. Yeah, the only guy to ever get kicked out of, uh, kicked off of a Duke basketball team, mm. um, would have been going against his former team. So yeah, you're right. That would have been another wrinkle that got thrown in there. Um, but who knows? I, I think honestly, I think a lot of times these committees and. I, I'm one of these guys who thinks that Duke gets every favorable thing they can get. And um, I'm, I'm not, not arguing. 
quite frankly, I don't think Duke. I don't think Duke's that good. Duke right now isn't isn't the Duke we know um, to be uh, a force in March. Um, so I'm not I'm not worried about. Uh, I shouldn't say I'm not worried about it, but I I I, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if they looked at this bracket and maybe had their five seeds in front of them and said, let's save Duke from that distraction um, and give them Baylor-Yale instead. Historically, yeah, his, I mean, we've seen seasons where Duke was probably borderline two seed, and they end up with not only a one seed, but by far the easiest draw of the bracket. So I, I think it's it's pretty well established that the tournament folks like to have like to give Duke every chance or every opportunity to be alive as late as possible. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a big conspiracy theorist, but it, it helps them when Duke's there because Duke is a polarizing team that people like to watch, whether it's to root, excuse me, root for or against them. And I, I think we'd be naive to think that that doesn't play into it at all. All right. Let's uh, one more thing. I, I want to hit on with the with the tournament stuff, uh, unless there's more that you want to bring up. But the one thing I wanted to ask you, as you look through the uh, the pairings for the first round here, are there any upsets that you want to call your shot on now? Um, that's a tough one because honestly, I don't I don't think there's any super. Um, I'll say one that I think could. It's sort of a sneaky team that I'm not sure people really are paying any attention to. Um, and it's, it wouldn't be necessarily a first round, but I wouldn't be surprised if Seton Hall makes a little bit of noise. Um, they'd have to go against Michigan State in the Sweet 16, but quite frankly, I might take them against everyone else in that bracket. So don't be surprised if they uh, get past I, Utah. I mean, it's Utah. So. Again, haven't seen them play a bunch. I just think Utah's or Seton Hall is one of those teams that's pretty damn good this year. Um, might be a little low. Their seed might be a little lower than they actually deserve. Yeah, they had a great win in the Big East final, right? They beat uh, Villanova. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There you go. They've had a they've had a pretty good season. They're twenty five and eight. They've got a decent record, um, and they've got some good quality wins. And they're playing really well right now. Um, if I'm picking someone to make noise below, like. I don't know the five line, maybe mm-hmm. start starting at like six. If someone that I that I think could get far uh, from one of those positions, I might go. Truthfully, looking at it, I, I don't know. Who do you got? You go first. I'll defer to you. Well, when I asked you that question, I was I was more wondering if there were any like double digit seeds you wanted to predict a round one win, even if they're not going to make a real long. Oh, run early it. early yeah. upsets. Yeah. Um, UNC Wilmington over Duke. Ooh. I think they're pretty good. I think they're pretty good. Again, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say I've, I've watched them play and I know that they're really good, but I think they're big and I think Duke is soft. So, and, and it, it kind of strikes me as one of those years that Duke could theoretically uh, come in thinking they're better than they are, which they're due for every handful of years. We've seen that from them where, I mean, it's very rare that people think Duke is going to lose in the first round. And we've seen it happen a couple times um, where they just don't show up ready to play. And I think especially with a team like UNC Wilmington, who is right around the corner from Duke, in state, 
and probably hears about how great Duke is all the time, comes in looking to prove something. So there's my pick. I like it. What do you got? Um, I, I've got two that I want you to keep an eye on, and they're both in the same region. Uh, the first one uh, I'm less confident in, I guess. I'm not super confident in either of these, but uh, the, the one that I'm taking a bit of a flyer on is uh, Buffalo upsetting Miami of Florida. That, that would be a 14 over a 3. Okay. Um, I've watched Buffalo quite a bit this year. Um, I really like their team. I, I like the way they play. I was super impressed with them in the Mac final against Akron. Um, I, I think they've got some great guards. They can get hot shooting the ball. Um, they can really push the pace. Uh, and I, they've got a, a very balanced lineup. They've got a lot of diverse weapons and, um, I, I just I think that's a team that could surprise people because I, like I also it. think it's um it's time for somebody in the MAC other than OU to actually win an NCAA game. Um, there's not been a team other than OU that's won in the NCAA's since '03. So um, the was Mar- that Kent? That was, was that Kent State? Uh, Central uh, Kent State oh, won. Okay. Kent, in, State, was, Kent State, oh, State had their big run in '02, 02. and 02. then '03 Central Michigan won uh one game, and then they got bounced. And after that, um, OU beat Georgetown in 2010, and then OU got to the Sweet 16 in 2012. But other than that, that every back team has lost. Uh, Buffalo, don't forget, they were in it last year, and they gave West Virginia a pretty tough game. And I know they've had some turnover on their roster, and they got a new coach in there. Um, but uh, they've definitely got they've got some guys back who went through that last year, and I think that's going to help them. So um, that's one to keep an eye on. You may not know this real quick. Has have they gotten more than one team in? Like the Mac? Yeah, since I think uh, Kent State didn't Kent no, State didn't it, win the Mac tournament that year, did the, they in O two? Uh yeah, they, they did. Okay. They did. The the Mac has not had two bids in the in the NCAA since I think ninety nine. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was before I was in college, so um Hold that. Who's thought. the other one? Who's the other one? The other, yeah, I was going to say, hold okay, that thought about the Mac because I, I have something I want to say about that too. But uh, my other uh, potential upset in that South region, um, Hawaii over California. That, okay, that would be a thirteen over a four. Hawaii uh, playing very well. They're twenty-seven and five, and Cal um, has a a whole uh, mess going on with their coaching staff. They just had to fire one of their assistant coaches this week because of a whole controversy with him. So, uh, very messy situation. I, I just wonder if that team is going to be focused and they're playing a, a Hawaii team that's won 27 games this year. Um, a lot, lot, lot of factors that make me feel nice. like that could be. I like it. I like it. Yeah. All right. So what do you got about the Mac? All right. So yeah, you're talking, you're, you're wondering about the Mac getting in two teams and Akron, um, was, uh, their coach Dan brought, uh, on Saturday night after they got beaten the Mac final, uh, went on a bit of a, a rant, uh, aggravated about the fact, because he knew even at that point they weren't getting into March Madness, and he's like, you know, we're not even going to be considered, and it's not fair. We got the 28th RPI um, and and this, that, the other. And um, I noticed a couple of media people uh, from Northeast Ohio that said it was very disrespectful to Akron that they weren't even listed on the teams that uh, were on the bubble and missed out on the tournament. So they were just, in other words, the uh, CBS network was basically saying that Akron was completely off the radar and not even in the conversation. And Akron was very aggravated about that. And some of the reporters, I don't know um, 
for whatever reason were agreeing with the with the local team and I responded to them um, by pointing out that uh, Akron this year uh, on Selection Sunday was 85th in the uh, Ken Pomeroy rankings, 93rd in the Sagarin, 72nd in the BPI, and 45th in the KPI, which are four other um, ranking systems that get considered when the selection committee is in there. So I I know Akron had a couple of games in their non-conference schedule that were pretty decent. Uh, I know they played Villanova and, and got beat. Um, and that was one of them, but by and large, they did not have a good non-conference schedule. They never have a good non-conference schedule and they really put their chips in the, in the basket of winning the, the Mac tournament. And when they got beat on Saturday night, I just, I'm sorry, maybe it's because I don't like Akron very much, but I just didn't really have a lot of sympathy for them. I mean, I don't know off the top of my head, but did they, did they beat anyone that's, that's noteworthy? In the regular season, let's. Uh, I'm looking right now, and the only one I see is I know Iona made it into the tournament. Right, they beat Iona, so okay. Um, but Iona got in because they won their conference, <laughs> like not based on how great their resume is. They lost to Villanova by 20. Um, they played a close game against Green Bay, which won the Horizon, but again, it was a loss. Yeah, I mean. What do you re- what are you really hanging your hat on? Um, I'm with you on that. I don't I don't see how. I mean, you knew going into the MAC tournament, every team knew the only way we're getting in to the big tournament is if we win this MAC tournament. And that's so, fine. I mean, they they had five. They won the conference in the regular season, and but I mean, they had five losses in conference play. I mean, there were a couple of years ago when they went like 14 and two when it was a 16 game. Max schedule, what you might have been able to make a case for that, because I think they had ended up that point with like 27 or 28 wins, and they, they only lost two games. But when you lose five games in, in a mid-major conference schedule, I just, there's no way you're getting considered for that. Yeah, you so, don't have much, yeah, you don't have much to stand on. So I'm with you on that. I mean, I get the coach stumping for his team. I've seen that. Uh, you always see that in college sports, and quite frankly, he's not doing his job if he doesn't say it. But at the same time as a guy looking on on the outside looking in and I don't really have a horse in the Mac race. I don't really I'm not really preferential. I like uh I like most of them all the same, I guess. <laughs> um I, I don't I don't see how you can really be too up in arms about Akron being left out, especially with the other teams that were already left out. Yeah, so my apologies to any of our listeners here in northeast Ohio with uh strong ties to the uh Akron community to the slips. Uh, yeah. I just, I'm not feeling it. So anyway, Hey, let's, uh, let's move on. We're, uh, we're probably uh, about 38 minutes in here. All right, real quick. Give final four and champion. Mm, all right. We got to uh, make our picks. Uh, boy, I'll, I give you, I'll give you mine first. I'll go first. Yeah, please do. Kansas beats. Um, who did I have in that one? Kansas beats Oklahoma, Michigan state, beats North Carolina, Michigan State beats Kansas. So I went two twos and two ones. Not too much uh, craziness there. Um, but kind of like I said, I think I think this is a year where there's a handful of teams that really stuck out. Um, only a very small handful, maybe three or four. Um, the rest is kind of a crapshoot. But I do think there's a pretty distinct gap between like the 
three, four, five seeds and everyone else. Okay. So I'm I'm sticking with a couple twos and a couple ones. I, I can't really argue any of that. Um, I, I'm going to give you something just to be different because I don't want to just agree with everything here. But I, I like Kansas over Oklahoma. I, I just I can't see. I, I don't feel great about Oklahoma. I think they've kind of. Um, I don't think they've been as as strong down the stretch as they were earlier in the year. I think he. I think Buddy Heald's good enough to get them get them there, especially in that fairly soft bracket. But I think it seemed like Kansas. Yeah, their luck runs out. Yeah, that, that's what I'm. I'm. I keep coming back to is I'm looking in that West region, and especially because I'm not totally buying Oregon. I just I don't see anybody else I like more than Oklahoma. So, yeah, I, I like Kansas over Oklahoma. On the other side, I'm gonna also stick with Michigan State, and I'm gonna take Kentucky out of the East. As, I was just thinking that as well as but... the four seed. Um. And Kentucky versus Sparty. Yeah, all right. I'll go. I'll go Michigan State, and then I'm going to pick Michigan State to win the whole thing, beating Kansas. Yeah. Okay. Nice. So we have three of the same four, and the same title game, and the same champion. Oh, you, so I'm sorry. I thought you said Kansas was going to win it. You got Michigan. no. I said I got Michigan State. Okay. All right. Yep. Hmm. But I. I Truthfully, the way Michigan State's playing right now, I think it's crazy. <laughs> Not, I think Valentine's as good as anybody in the country right now, and he's experienced. A lot of times you see these teams where their best player is this freshman or sophomore who doesn't have a ton of experience. Denzel Valentine's been around the block. He's done it all, and he's probably the best player in the country, and that pains me to say because I am not a Sparty fan in any way, shape, or form. But... <laughs> Uh, the way that they've played this year, I just, especially the way that they've manhandled the, the Buckeyes three of the last five games, um, it's just hard for me to not pick them. And you look at uh, Tom Izzo's resume coaching in the tournament, it's, I mean, it's second to none. So, I mean, well, I, I guess Shashevsky over at Duke probably. Uh, Although he hasn't won one since what, Mateen Cleaves? Right, but I mean, he had a run there of uh, every single graduating class making at least one Final Four up until a couple years ago. So I, I, I mean, he he's about as good as it gets. Yeah, no that, question. And he's not a guy, against. and he's not a guy who's who like lives with the one and dones like a like Calipari or, or North Carolina or Duke or someone like that. He always has like senior laden teams that are led by experience. So. I think that's really why I pick them this year because they've been around the block and they know what they're doing. Um, they're not going to see anything they haven't seen before. Yeah. Well, it's just, uh, I, I don't know. I can't get it out of the back of my head. Like that, that's all Draymond Green needs is one more thing to be uh, cocky about this year is you know, his alma mater um, winning in March Madness. That uh, Yeah, he had to leave for them to win one. So screw you, Draymond. <laughs> All right. While we're on the uh, NBA, let's uh, let's go ahead and talk a little bit of Cavs here for a few minutes. Um, just wrapped up the uh, four-game West Coast road trip. That was their final West Coast swing of the season. Uh, hopefully, they'll be heading back out west at some point in early to mid June. But uh, three and one road trip had a chance to sweep all four, but uh, kind of stumbled last night at Utah. Didn't shoot it particularly well. Um, that's an understatement. Yeah. So overall, are you, how do you feel about the, uh, the trip? Um, I'm not going to get too bent out of shape about it. They won, they won the first three. Um, you gotta love how they played against 
um, LA on Sunday. Um, I, I think those of us that have watched this team probably yesterday uh, thought that it was it was quite possible that they'd come out a little bit flat. Um, just because it's kind of been the way that they've done it. Win a few games, have a really good game against a really good team, and then kind of fall on your face for a game. Um, you look at how they shot yesterday um, compared to how they shot the day before. Um, I'd have to go back and look. I want to say that like Kevin Love, JR, and uh, Kyrie were something like four of like 25 or something insane from three and just awful from the field. The guys weren't making shots. They weren't shooting well. LeBron played pretty well, but no one else really did shit. Um, it was just one of those weird games. And, and uh, the guy for uh, the guy whose name escapes me for the jazz had Rodney a pretty Hood. good net. Rodney hood. There you go. Um, he was shooting the hell out of the ball yesterday. And it just seems like that happens every once in a while, the Cavs and, I'm not going to freak out about it like a lot of people have done every time the the Cavs lose um, because they they built some goodwill with those three games before where they showed what they can do when they're running on all cylinders. And, you know, fourth game of a road trip at 1030 at night out in the West Coast. Um, I mean, Utah's not necessarily the coast, but you know what I mean. They got the altitude, uh-huh. though, which is another thing that's going to throw people off when they come in there. That's, that's a, a destination that ends up – them and Denver both are the, get a lot of teams from the East playing the final game of a road trip and kind of ready to, to come home, and they get a little bit of a built-in advantage with that. And um, that was actually why I thought earlier this year the Cavs would um, lose their game at Denver because that was the second night of a back-to-back that they ended up playing really well. So the fact that it happened in Utah on Monday doesn't really bother me at all. And the, the other thing that did not really bother me about that loss at all is uh, – a lot of the Cavs' losses, when they struggle, you start seeing the ball movement really um, just screech to a halt, and and, and you just guys over dribbling and just a lot of bad things. That they took too many threes in that Utah game, but by and large, I felt like they were getting a lot of great shots. A lot of guys were getting open looks, and they just didn't make them. And you're going to have nights where that just happens, and. I, 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 you can't let that stick with you because the next night you're going to come out and they're, they're going to have a game on Wednesday night here at home against Dallas. And I wouldn't be surprised if they're, uh, you know, back up over 110 points again because, I mean, their offense is clicking well. I will say the one thing that did irk me about that game, though, especially given what they had done the three previous, was I felt like the earlier games in that trip, they were really starting to figure out a rotation. And... Um, just understanding what what lineups are starting to work and what um, what groupings on their roster uh, really play well with each other. And right from the get-go last night at Utah, th- their rotation was just all out of sorts. I mean, you could pretty much guarantee that barring an injury or uh, unlikely foul trouble or something, LeBron's not coming out until towards the end of the first quarter and he's going to sit out um, from there until uh, midway through the second quarter. And then he's going to get a rest some point between uh, late third into the early fourth. And he was the first guy taken out of the game last night. And I just, I didn't understand why. And it, it, the, the rotations after that just got very strange. And I just, it, it felt very unnecessary to me. Do you think, um, I mean, does it, does that, does that worry you? Or do you think they're still tinkering? Um, 
I, I, I'm probably with you. I think we're probably getting to the point in the season where, what do they have? 15, 16, 17, some games like that left. Um, where, yeah, they're probably getting to the point in the season where they need to have this stuff buttoned up. They need to know their rotations. They need to know who's just going to be out on the floor and, and, you know, for the first couple quarters, how they're going to, uh, run the offense and who's going to be out there. So I think I'm sort of with you. I, I don't, I don't want them tinkering too much. Now the guys need to do, I think, I think you run the risk of just guys not really finding their rhythm. If they're not, um, if, if you're messing with it too much and they're not comfortable with, uh, with where they're at in the rotation, how the rotations and how they're being used. So I think they need to kind of firm that up a little bit and, and, and just sort of ride it out for now so these guys can get used, sort of get into a rot- uh, routine because I think they are, um, especially, uh, especially Love and probably Kyrie to another, to a slightly lesser extent. They need that sort of uh, consistency and stability, I think, to, to really be comfortable on the floor. Definitely. Um, you know, the one thing that I think might be throwing a bit of a wrinkle into it is just how really well Channing Frye has played. I mean, yeah. he just lights out against the Clippers and the the limited opportunities he has had up to this point, um, just because I think they've been kind of slow in working him in because they, uh, they wanted to get him more familiar with the offense and whatnot. Um, he has just made the most of every opportunity and, uh, I think he's kind of forced the coaching staff's hand a little bit into giving him more minutes than you might have initially had expected, um, especially because Mozgov just continues to look like mostly a train wreck. I mean, how many times are they uh, pointing out on the floor where, where he needs to be and he's missing defensive assignments, missing on uh, help assignments on defense and um, not being in the necessarily the right place on offense and he just doesn't look particularly confident. And then you get a guy like Fry coming in there and uh, just doing everything, and uh, they they play a very different style of game. But man, I, I just it, the Cavs just have a whole different look, and you, you could really put a line up out there with five legitimate perimeter shooters when when he's in there. And um, I, I really think he's going to force his way into more minutes than anybody would have envisioned when he got uh, traded here. Easily, no question about it. I think um, when, when that trade got announced, I was I was kind of on record as thinking, hey, I don't think Channing Fry has anything left in the tank either. Um, so while it stinks to lose Verizal, um, I don't, I don't really get the point of the trade, but he's just gone on some insane spurts lately, especially when LeBron's on the floor, he gets open and he hits his shots. Um, we saw him against the Lakers on Thursday. Um, and then on Sunday against the Clippers, he was five of seven from three in both games. So 10 of 14 over two games is insane enough. Um, he was eight of ten from the field against the Lakers, um, and then five and eight, five and seven, or excuse me, five and eight against the Clippers. So he's hitting the open shots in pretty sparing minutes. He only put, he played twenty four against the Lakers, which is probably that's probably about where that's probably about the max you want from him. I think mm-hmm. um, twenty against the Clips, but if if he's shooting that well, yeah, you're probably right. I think we're sort of getting to the point where. There's probably going to be a handful of teams and matchups where Mozgov just doesn't see the floor, um, where they do go, um, they go smaller, uh, not necessarily smaller because Channing Fry is six eleven, <laughs> um, and, right, and but... Kevin Love's close to seven foot, but where um, 
Tristan and Kevin Love and Channing are all in the rotation, and Mozgov just doesn't have a role. I think he's that guy where you have a very specific need for him, and you only use him when when that's uh, when it's called for. Uh, and Channing Fry is probably going to steal a lot of Mozgov's minutes, um, for better or worse. I think just the way that he's shooting the ball and the way he's able to get open. Like I said, particularly when LeBron's on the floor, LeBron seems to create space for him. He attracts that double team, and Fry hits the shots. He's got way more in the tank than I thought he did, and I'm I'm, I'm very pleasantly surprised with how he's played so far. Um, that trade looks way better than I thought it would. I didn't think it would look bad. I just didn't really think it would look like anything. I thought it would be a kind of a wash, two players that didn't really contribute a whole bunch. Um, but Fry certainly has the potential to be a, a very big part of what we do going forward. Certainly seems like the kind of guy that would be very useful in a series against the Warriors. No question. No question. If you have a guy that's that big now, now on defense, he's a nightmare. An absolute nightmare. He, cement shoes, slow as can be, can't guard anyone. But that ability to spread the floor and easily hit that open shot, which he's shown pretty consistently, if if you get him the ball, he'll make it. Um, yeah, it's kind of an equalizer against a team like Golden State, where you might have to cover up his deficiencies on defense, um, I, which I, I don't think is necessarily as hard. Um, if you do have, you probably have to play him with, you can't play him in love at the same time. Um, you'd have to play probably LeBron at the three, Tristan at the five. Um, and I think that kind of equalizes it a little bit. But him and Love are kind of going to serve the same purpose, and I'm not sure you could really have both of them on this floor at the same time. Mm, I, I kind of want to see a little bit of that, to be honest with you. I, I want to see them throw that, that lineup out there a little bit more. That doesn't worry you about how quickly another team, especially a Golden State, could go on a pretty quick – I mean, if you're playing Golden State in the playoffs – they could go on an insane run pretty quickly if you have those two guys trying to defend. Look, I'm not. I'm not gonna. That's fair. I'm not gonna say that. Um, I, I don't think Channing Fry is quite as bad a defender as you're making him out to be. I, I guess for, for my money, though, where I'm going with this, and and there's no question that the natural pairing for him is putting him at, on the floor at the same time as Tristan, because I think they complement each other very well. But in terms of putting him out there with Kevin Love, uh, the alternative is putting Love out there with Mozgov. Um, you know, the, the thing that made Mozgov an appealing option was never his offense. It was always um, him being a rim protector. And I don't think there are any stats out there that are pointing to him actually doing anything effective defensively this year. So he's a, he's a bad defender like... Um, you know, we're saying Fry is, and he's not giving you anything at the offensive end. To me, the the move is really squeezing Mozgov out of the rotation uh, altogether. Um, And and I guess that's going to be kind of hard because they they do have that rotation that's working well. And it it all starts with him in the starting lineup. I I guess, and I think it was Fear the Sword uh, I was listening to yesterday, threw this out or, or I don't know. I think it was then that said some to the effect of you start him, play him like six or seven minutes, and then you don't really see Mozgov the rest of the game. And just, he's kind of the hold the fort guy so that you don't have to play fry 30 minutes. 
Yeah, and they've said that they really like uh, the energy that Tristan brings off the bench. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, even though he might he might be a better fit as a starter, I think for maximizing it over the course of the game, I think they're pretty happy with um, with keeping Tristan coming off the bench. Yeah, that's Even though he's clearly going to play way more than Mozgov. Everybody else seems to be fitting into their roles, and it's just that, that glaring hole at the beginning where you see some of these games where the Cavs get off the slow starts. It's, it's, it's Mozzie. Yeah, it's starting at center, and as soon as he comes out, things start looking better. And um, you know, it's, it's how do you solve that problem without creating another one elsewhere? I guess. Yeah, sure. Speaking of, um, move. I guess moving on here. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of filling holes and creating, uh, uh, you know, filling for guys that aren't necessarily present anymore. Mm-hmm. Specifically, the Browns, obviously, in this case. <laughs> um, while Mozgov is still on the Cavs, the Browns suddenly have a whole lot of holes to fill. Um, didn't do a whole lot in free agency, to say the least. They're noticeably worse than they were um, a couple weeks ago. What are, What are your thoughts? They They pretty much they had four guys in free agency, didn't retain a single one. Um, four key guys in free agency didn't retain a single one. Um, do you have a rhyme or reason behind them kind of letting everybody go? Um, number one, if you're three and 13, I struggle with how key anybody on your roster is. Um, I, I just, there are no sacred cows on a three and 13 team. Do they have the money? Yeah, that's fine. I, I know they did, but Alex Mack is 30. I, I, I And headed towards the back nine of his career and he was not nearly as good last year I don't think as he was um, prior to uh, breaking his leg um, so I I don't really see a need to be paying him big money I know Mitchell Schwartz has gotten a lot better um, so out of the four of uh, free agents that we lost I, I think that's the one that I would make the most case for um, trying to retain and I, I wish that would have happened and the whole thing about the Browns supposedly having a contract offer to him and then pulling it off the table and not even offering him anything else. Uh, that's very strange. I don't know how common that is, but the fact that it um, went public leads me to believe that that's not a typical way teams do business. Um, and as for the other two, to Sean Gibson, he had one good year. I don't think he was anything special last season. And it's funny. Did you hear him talking in like his in his first? They were they were asking him about the free agents that left and stuff, and he was talking about how the the Browns let two Pro Bowlers leave. So well, you weren't a Pro Bowler last year. Like, do you do you get to carry the title of Pro Bowler for your entire career if you do right. it one time? <laughs> like, like you didn't. I think he got way overpaid. Yeah, uh, yeah. When you saw the money he got, I'm like, there's no way in hell I want the Browns spending that kind of money on a guy like that. And right. then uh, the fourth one, Travis Benjamin. Okay, I mean he was a good punt returner. Um, Damn, the second half of the season, year. he really tailed off. And the biggest knock on the Browns' receiving core was that they're undersized and they're a bunch of Smurfs. And he's like five eight, right? He he is the smallest of the bunch. Right. So, so if you're going to try to uh, beef up your receiving core and get some big, strong, physical receivers, that's not the guy I'm looking to spend money on. Sorry. So, yeah, I think the the biggest the, the funniest thing is people are like, "Oh, you need to keep Mac and you need to keep uh Schwartz." They had the second they gave up the second most sacks in the league last year. Mm-hmm. With Joe Thomas on one side 
Alex Mack is supposedly a pro bowler. I, I, I think we're probably in agreement that he didn't really deserve that last year, but he did get that title. Um, and Schwartz, who kind of who kind of found his stride, and yeah, he was starting to play better. But even with those three guys, the line wasn't any damn good. So why are you going to throw a bunch of money at that when you have so many holes to begin with? Um, and yeah, I'm with you. Deshaun Gibson got way overpaid. Uh, Benjamin, his contract's fine. It wasn't that big. It wasn't anything. It wasn't anything crazy. And I would have been wouldn't have been upset if they had given him that. But yeah, like we said, he's more of the same. And he had one okay season, two seasons of absolutely nothing. And he's a nice little punt returner. So not losing none of those guys really upsets me that much. I'm I'm with you though. Schwartz was the one guy. If if we could have kept one, Schwartz would have been the one, I think. So I have a theory here I want to unpack and I know we're an hour into it here. This is probably not the best time to do this, but screw it. Um why not? Let's go for it. I I just I really feel like NFL free agency is completely different from um baseball free agency and the NBA uh free agency season. Because in those two sports, you've got tippy-top guys and, and franchise-changing superstars who are going to hit the market every single year. And, I mean, we've seen the way the Cavs' fortunes completely changed by having that um, with LeBron entering free agency a couple of years ago. And, you know, it's going to be Kevin Durant this summer. And uh, every year it seems like there, there are big names that are going to be out there and available. And, uh, you know, we don't really get into it with the Indians as much because that's not really the way they do business with their payroll. But those big name guys. Um, There's always a handful. Every th- th- year. Those guys are out there if you're willing to spend the money on them. Whereas in football, uh, Aaron Rodgers is never getting to free agency. Andrew Luck is not getting to free agency. Um, any of the, the superstar running backs or defensive backs or the, the, the tippy top number one guys at their position, um, pretty much universally across the board, if a guy makes it to free agency, there's a reason. Now you could find good complementary pieces in free agency um, to fill out your roster, but you're going to build the, the core of your team really through the draft. To that end. I've and I was thinking about this today, and I guess maybe it's still a half baked idea. But to me, it would, especially for a team like the Browns, where they have made it very clear they're going to be putting their priority on the draft. It would be a lot more advantageous to them to have the draft first, and then free agency start afterwards, so you could see what pieces you've drafted. And what pieces you have in place for your core for the long term, because those are the guys you're building around, and then go to free agency after the fact to see where you need to fill in around the edges. Oh, sure, there's no question that would uh, that might be better for the teams. You know who it's not better for? The free agents. Sure. Um, who are going to make less money? So I don't. I don't think. I don't think the league, in terms. Every time we see them have like a CBA and whatnot, and they put together the things that they're going to discuss, I have a feeling that's one of those ones that the league is always going to kind of consider a concession to the players' union. So, while yeah, I agree with you, it probably would be better for the teams. Um, I think those guys would still get paid, though. I think they would still get paid. I mean, it hasn't hurt the NBA at all. I mean, the, the NBA has their draft a week after the finals are over, 
and then free agency starts a couple weeks after that, and it's a much different timeline, and I understand you need more time to evaluate players um, coming out of college and football because there's so many more positions and so many more uh, skill sets and, and different things to consider, and it's a much bigger project than um, scouting for an NBA draft where there's only two rounds and you've only got uh, 15 roster spots. But um, I, I don't – I mean, if you're going to have the combine – in February, a few weeks after the Super Bowl, I, I don't see why you couldn't flip the combine or the, the draft date and the start of free agency date. And I, I think especially now that you've got the restrictions in place around what rookie contracts can look like in this latest CBA, I still think teams would have plenty of money left over that they would be able to to still go spending like they would if, if uh, uh, things were flipped. Well, the way I look at it, I, I'll look at the local guys, the guys that, that we just lost. Um, if if those teams, like if Kansas City is able to scoop up a pretty good tackle in the second round, um, or say San Diego gets a nice receiver, someone later, maybe in the second or third round that they were looking for, or the Jags or someone, any of those teams that just gave a lot of money to a free agent, if they're able to get a guy that they think could fill that void, a lot of those free agents aren't going to get nearly the the price tag that they do before those teams have a clearer picture. Of That's true, but not every team's going to get be. their guy in the draft. There's always no, going to be not teams every with team. needs. Not every team. There's always going to be teams with needs. But if if half of those teams fill their needs through the draft, that leaves several free agents whose values are going to go down. Um, I don't think free agent values have any chance to go up by having the draft first that's fair you know what i mean so i, mean, I this think this will never happen it's all no, hypothetical yeah. but just food for thought let, yeah let... i'm with you i i agree the other thing i will say is if you have a goddamn guy like josh gordon who you've known for a year is going to be eligible for reinstatement why the hell is he not reinstated yet or why have he not passed the decision down the Browns should have been able to act in free agency knowing whether he's going to be back next year. There's no excuse for them to drag their feet on it, especially considering how long they knew um, he would be he would be out for and when he would be eligible to return. So That whole process when, when he was initially suspended last year took forever and an ungodly amount of time, and you're right. It's It's been the exact same thing ridiculous. with getting him back in. It is ridiculous. Like, I understand like if you're doing something to the player, but – a team should know coming into something like free agency what holes they have. They should know what their roster looks like. They shouldn't have to wonder if a guy is going to be available or not when he's already applied for reinstatement. So stuff like that. It's it's just bizarre to me how they do it. But there's there's we could fill an entire show with things that the NFL offices do stupidly. So I'm not going to get too in-depth on that, I suppose. Save that for another night. That's fair. I, mean, I agree with you in terms of it's it's not really fair to the Browns what they're doing in terms of dragging their feet on that. At the same time, uh, he could get um, reinstated tomorrow, and he's still one strike away from going away for a long time again right True. after that. True. So no putting, your, putting all your eggs in that basket is dangerous, uh, dangerous enough as it is. So I, I don't know. If I'm the Browns, I'm – Really, I'm surprised they haven't cut ties with him altogether. I think if you're looking at um, if you're looking at the new way that they're going to do things, um, th- this whole analytics approach 
it's it's sort of tough to justify getting rid of him because he doesn't cost you much of anything. He's got worlds of talent, like a ton of talent. He's been incredibly productive. And by all intents and purposes and all accounts, it sounds like he's kind of, he's been on the straight and narrow for the last year. And if we're being honest, the way that he got suspended, um, being in, in the, uh, the substance program or whatever, and getting busted for alcohol after getting off a plane on a team trip with an assistant coach, like that's, that still steams me up a little bit. Like the fact that, uh, that was even allowed to happen is a bit ridiculous in my mind. Yes, he should have known better um, because he knows what he's allowed to do, but that whole situation is just ridiculous. And if, if, if you can eliminate instances like that, that that seems fixable in my mind. Um, so I guess for, for lack of a better term, um, you kind of just have to weather the storm with him because – there's very little risk to it, in my opinion. Okay. Yeah, I mean, they need all the help they can get. I mean, oh, let's, especially let's be honest. A, I, yeah, I, six, 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 three wide receivers don't grow on trees. Yeah, if there's, can, uh, there's a team that needs to roll the dice. I guess it's the Browns here. So let's just hope uh, hope he can get his situation resolved and, and they can move on. Um, yep, no I would question. still be looking for another receiver in the draft. Oh, I'm with you on that 100%. Yeah. Last, last last thing, real quick, Kaepernick. Do you want the Browns to trade for him or not? Uh, I think the fair question is, what would I be okay with the Browns giving up for him? Okay. Um, truthfully, third probably sounds a little like a little too much. Fourth, I'd be okay with it. Third, I'd be on the fence. I wouldn't be furious with it if they gave up a third, but um, I think. It would make me think like maybe they're giving up a little too much. You? I, my thinking is this. If you think he is worthwhile and, and a guy that can actually lead you somewhere, then a third's not too high. And for that matter, I, I don't know what is too high for a quarterback who you honestly believe in um, his ability. And if you think he can get back to the, the level that he was at, where he was four yards away from winning the Super Bowl a few years ago. And, I mean, you could make a case for that. I mean, if you were, if he's in a system that's a good system with talent around him and a really good co- coach, I mean, you, you look at how uh, Harbaugh revived Alex Smith's career and then he took Kaepernick to the Super Bowl. And I know Hugh Jackson's got a reputation for being able to work with quarterbacks. And if you really believe in that and you think Kaepernick could be the guy, then, I mean – I'm I'm willing to to do whatever it takes to bring the guy in. Flip side of that, if you don't think he can be that guy anymore, then I'm not trading anything away for him. Either he's the guy or he's not the guy. And I just I don't like the the wishy washy. Well, if if we can get him for a, a low round pick, I mean, either you, you're buying into him and this is going to be your dude, and if he's not, and then fine, he's not. Okay, I just heard two answers from you. You said if. You think he's the guy? Yes. If you don't think he's the guy, no. Do you think he's the guy? Mm. Now, what do you think the coaches think? What do you think? Probably not. 
I don't like the way I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he went somewhere. I I think he he can be the guy somewhere else. I, I, I feel like if he got put into another good situation um, with, with good talent around him, I think he could revive his career. I just, I think there are too many other um, needs around him here that I, I just don't know that he could be the guy to, to resurrect uh, the team. Yeah. I'm not sure what he's thinking saying he'd, he'd love to come to Cleveland instead of Denver. Um, <laughs> That seems like a situation that is just would just be amazing for him, but who knows? Uh, I guess we'll just wait and see on that one. It sounds like the Browns um, aren't going to make that trade if they can't restructure his deal. So we'll see what comes of that, I guess, in the coming days. Yeah, and then maybe he's not as interested in coming to the Browns if they're not going to pay him all the money he thinks he would get coming here. I don't know. I can't, the I can't could be back the... anyone for wanting more money or wanting the money that they've already agreed to get. No, not at so, all. But I mean, yeah. if he thought the Browns were going to be the, the ticket uh, to get in the full value of that contract because they were so desperate. That's and, true. And they're playing hardball. And now all of a sudden, maybe that situation isn't as appealing. Not as appealing as, as he thought it was at first. Sure. That makes sense. Wouldn't yeah. surprise me at all. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting. I, it sounds like we should probably get a resolution on that by the end of the month, right? Because does it? Yeah, probably there like pretty some, soon. Isn't there some sort of? Uh, I think April kicker in his contract. I want to say like April fifth or, or something. Yeah, if he's if he's still there, April fifth, his contract's guaranteed for next year or something. But uh, I could be wrong on that date, but I'm pretty sure it's very early in April. Hmm. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll keep an eye on it. And yep. uh, all right, that that's uh, that's a good note to wrap up on because uh, we've gone. Um, quite long so bonus content for everybody out there There you go enjoy you're welcome all right so let's see here uh you can uh catch all of our episodes at uh, the nailpodcast.com if you are on an iphone you could subscribe to our show and that's really the best way to do it i think um go uh to the podcast app on your phone search for the nail in the coffin uh, you'll find our show logo there with the blue uh, nail logo on it and uh, just hit subscribe and uh, that way you'll get all the new episodes uh, delivered right to your phone. Good stuff there. And uh, if you're on Twitter, um, our uh, Twitter account is at the nail podcast. So um, give us if a follow. If you're not on, on Twitter, where have you been? Yeah, seriously. Get, join, get, join 2016 folks. Yeah, it's time, man. It's, it's a, it's a good place to be. And uh, it's a hell of a lot more fun than Facebook between you, me and everybody. No kidding. <laughs> All right, good stuff. Uh, I think that'll uh, that'll do it for us here. So, uh, everybody, thanks for listening. Um, for Travis Yuley, I am Tom Valentino. This has been the Nail in the Coffin, and we will talk to you again next week. I'm Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcasts. 